everybody. Welcome yeah. to another episode of DFV. I am your co-host, Black Cinephile. And I'm your co-host, Brad. Yes, that is Brad. And uh, today we got one. Um, this isn't going to be a full anime month for us, but we figure we we got we got to throw some anime in there uh, just to get it in for the month. Uh, so for this one, we got a we got a first feature episode. And uh, I th- frankly, I think these are first features for a reason. But uh, uh we'll, we'll yeah. get into it. <laughs> we, we we got we got Lupin Three: The Castle of uh Cag- Cagliostro by uh Hayao Miz- My- Miyazaki. How do I say it? <laughs> Miyazaki. Miyazaki. And we got uh Yurusi Yatsura Only You by uh Mamuro uh, Oshi. Um, you know, we like we like to think outside the box here. This is the same guy that directed Ghost in the Shell, another great movie. Yep. Uh, but you know, we we like to think outside the box here, and uh, you know, just just uh, see how how we go about looking at the first features from two of these directors who are looked at as like um, you know innovators in the animation game. Basically, just see where they came from. Uh, Brad, you got any words before we hop into this? Uh, it's well, one thing to take note. First off, both of these directors are hugely acclaimed in the realm of anime and everything. Miyazaki, especially mm-hmm. with Ghibli. Then you have, right. you know, Ghost in the Shell and everything. But at the same time, their starts were making movies for properties that already existed. So Lupin mm-hmm. the Third was already a TV series and a manga before Miyazaki came and wrote a movie for it. Uh, the same goes for Yurisei Yatsura, where it, their directorial debuts were literally with existing properties, making that straight-to-DVD kind of style movie we would think of today for a series. Which, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of impressive that both of them got their start in that same kind of realm, working with existing properties already and not something that they had come up with. They later got the chance because of these movies to, you know, make something that was original to them and man, did it work out from there? <laughs> yeah. Um, Cause I'm going to just say this uh, from where they came from. Uh, these movies are rough, man. I, I, I know why you wanted me to watch them. Well, actually, I don't, but we'll we'll get into it. But uh, these these films are rough. But you know, I, everyone starts somewhere, right? You know, Martin Scorsese started off with I think Boxcar Bertha, um, and who's that knocking on my door? So every, everyone starts somewhere. Uh, but yeah, let's just uh, let's just get into it. All right. Uh, so all right. So if we're looking at this. I know this is controversial here, but if you if you want to go chronological here, I, I think Castle of uh, Cagliostro will be first, or we'll just call it Lupin Three. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Lupin Three came out in '79, I believe, and then uh, Yurisei Yatsura came out in '82, '83. So yeah, if we're gonna go, cont- you know, the controversial route of you know chronological, it, we would be starting with Lupin Three. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. So starting off with Lupin 3, um, I'll take the reins on this one here. So this uh, is about, you know, a uh, gentleman thief, Lupin 3, if you're already aware of the uh, character himself, who, um, you know, with his buddy, they uh, they rob a casino and find out that the uh, it starts off with them robbing a the casino, find out that the money there was counterfeit. 
So they decide to uh, go to the uh, place where the counterfeit bills um, originate from, which is a uh, tiny country of uh, Cagliostro. Uh, am I saying that right? Uh, yeah, Cagliostro. Okay, all right. Uh, there they decide that they have to save uh, Princess Clarice um, from uh, Count Cagliostro's men. Uh, so basically that becomes like the main plot line of, uh, you know, what Lupin's trying to uh, achieve here. And uh, because the Count wants to marry Clarice, you know, he wants to cement his power by, uh, you know, rec- recovering the ancient treasure of Cagliostro. And uh, Lupin's a thief, too. So it works in his power uh, for the sake of love and for the sake of riches to stop him. And that in- is bare bones, the plot of uh, Lupin three. Yeah. So prior to this movie, have you seen anything when it comes to Lupin the third or? Not one thing. Okay, so when it comes to Lupin the Third, I first got introduced to it when it was on, I think it was on Toonami or Adult Swim, I can't remember where it started, and it it was one of those like very goofy animes, so even oh, though- Oh, I can tell. Yeah, <laughs> so you have a very- charismatic thief with lupin who is just getting into all kinds of hijinks it's very rubber bandy in it's like animation style and everything like that making for a very fun animation with you know colorful characters and everything alike and when it comes to the movies i have yet to see any of the movies this is actually the first time that i watched this one so even, oh really yeah so when it came to you know uh Miyazaki's work I the only ones I haven't really seen were Lupin 3 Porco Rosso and I think Wind Rises is what it's called which is one of his more recent ones beyond that I've seen basically his entire catalog but somehow I've just never saw the first movie he made so that was one of the reasons I was like okay we can throw this on the list it's a directorial debut it's one that I haven't seen before you know Lupin the third is like a really good series and it's one of those beloved series in Japan and internationally as well. You know, it's one of those few in those early days that did break the international like borders as an anime. <laughs> so, so let me ask the important question. So after you make that decision, uh, do you feel good about yourself? Uh, I can say that I enjoyed it. <laughs> Because at the same time, this is exactly Lupin the Third. This is exactly what I expected from a movie for it. It's very self-contained. It, all the characters that I recognize showed up and everything. I can see from your perspective watching this and not understanding any of the characters when they pop in. You know. See, but that wasn't a problem to me. And, and it's not like this film has a huge problem with me. Like, I think it's good for kind of the goofiness that it is. I, I, I enjoy some of it. But it's like I, I like the way it starts off. I like the goofy relationship between Lupin and his um his uh his uh his uh his partner, partner Brian. What's Jiggin? What's his name? Jiggin. Yeah, I I like their relationship. It's it's kind of goofy and funny in a way. It's just as watching the film, I don't know. Like it's because I guess because I wasn't. Well, it shouldn't be a problem if I, even if I don't know the world because I still should be able to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it was like it just wasn't really like grabbing me. Like, you know, when I watched Super Mario Brothers, the 90s version, you know what I mean, with Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo, I still had a good time, even though I didn't know who these characters were. You know, even with the animated film, I I didn't know who, um, I knew who Donkey Kong was, and I know Mario and Luigi just by knowing them, 
But even though I didn't know the princess chick, I still had a good time. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Something like this, I'm like, uh, I it just it just it just didn't grab me. I I, I enjoyed looking at it because you know when when old animation looks good, I like looking at it. Mm-hmm. But that's that's about as far as I went with this one. Well, yeah, even for a movie that came out back in 79, the movie still looks fantastic by today's standards. You know, that hand-drawn animation does look really good. And at least to Mm -hmm. me, it still looked good. I don't know if you had a difference of opinion on that one. I mean, it looks like 70s animation, but it looks like good 70s animation. Let me me put it that way. Like, it's it's not blowing me away like Studio Ghibli. Oh, no way. All right. This isn't peak uh, Miyazaki here. But I was like, okay, I can see how this is where he started. I I can see it. Yeah, this movie had like a fairly high budget compared to most movies at the time because it was Lupin the third and it was Mm -hmm. the third Lupin movie to come out ironically as well. But I Mm got to say, when it comes to this movie, it's. It definitely follows the same traits that the show has, where you have Lupin just kind of getting into a mess, uh, bringing Jigen with him. And along the way, Interpol comes because they're trying to stop Lupin at all costs. They end up uncovering something that's even more dastardly going on because Lupin happens to be involved in it in some way. And then they end up taking that down and then Lupin escapes. It's the classic plot line. And at the time, it was... I'm not going to say it was a revolutionary storyline, but a lot of things have adapted that kind of momentum when it comes to like the thieves and cops kind of back and forth that it is a little bit more stereotypical at this point to be like, oh, yeah, the thief comes, the you know, cops come, they find out something bad, the thief escapes and, you know, the cops still get like a big bad captured. And but mm. at the time of this movie, it wasn't as cliched. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I took it for what it was. I, I, I gave it some grace, you know what I mean? Like, for, for a late 1970s film, I'm not going to say it didn't keep my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I gave it some grace. Uh, I think the villain is uh, pretty villainous, you know, and I, I like... Oh, the uh, Count? I like, yeah, yeah, I think the Count is pretty villainous. I like the tricks that Lupin uh, pulls, especially in, like, the last act where he... Uh, you know, you feel you, you almost think that he they're stabbing through his body or whatever, that mm-hmm. it pops open and his money falling. Like, you know, I I gave this film grace for what it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's a charismatic thief that has a lot of fun with what he does. And it, his fun kind of shows with, you know, how he like takes himself like when he's climbing up mountains using a little string and he has like a little belt hook that he just kind of mm-hmm. twirls around in order to like crank himself up the mountain and everything. And it's that kind of creativity. That it's like, OK, that's fun. It, this is a fun movie to me where it's not always going to be like a deep movie. You're not going to walk out of it and go, man, that was thought provoking. But at the very least, I walked away nah. going, that was a fun movie. I had fun watching that. I was smiling through that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I wouldn't say I was necessarily smiling, but I was <laughs> like, it's like, OK, I kind of walked away like, all right, I get it. You know, and I uh, said, all right, sure. Um, yeah, I, uh, I ain't got much to say about this one, man. This one really I, wasn't I, your kind of movie at all. <laughs> Oh, if you think I got something to say about th- if you think I'm a uh, mum for words on this, wait till we get <laughs> to the next one. 
But um, I, I know I, I I liked it. I mean, I kind of looked at it as um, what's the what's the one film we watched that I told you I I didn't really get much out of? Was it was it five centimeters or your name? No, not uh, no, I liked your name. Yeah, it, uh, it was five centimeters per second. Yeah, I did like kind of like with that film. I know they're two completely different movies, mm-hmm. but when we're talking about anime, it's like there's some films, whether it be anime or whatever genre it is, that. I just I just don't get much out of. I was like, all right. You know, I like Lupin. I like his mm. relationship with his buddy, but again, that's kind of like that was kind of like the only redeeming factor to me to be real. I like the animation too, I'm going to be honest. Okay. Yeah, cuz I I'll admit, when it comes to the plot by today's standards, it's pretty bare bones. At the time, though, it was like a newer kind of plot line for animation, especially one that's aimed toward more like family friendly kind of movie and everything where it's not an adult anime. It's not something aimed completely at the kids. It's something that like the family would be able to enjoy. And it's got that mystery in it. It's got a little bit of intrigue. I mean, by today's standards, you watch it and you go, oh, I know exactly where this is going. I can tell exactly what this is doing. Oh, I've seen this done before. But at the time, it wasn't so much in that vein. And mm-hmm. to, to look at it in that kind of respect, you kind of have to keep in mind when this movie came out, where a lot of those cliches that you look at now weren't exactly cliches back then. Mm-hmm. And even looking at it today, the cliches, they work. You know, they're coming through. You have the whole, like, it turns out that he had a past kind of interaction with uh, the princess at one point where he kind of knew her a little bit, but he had forgotten about it until they had come together again. You know, it's a cliched thing now, but at the same time, it's done well. It's not like it was kind of over the top or forced into the movie at all. It kind of falls into place and there's little clues hidden throughout the movie that lead you up to that point, which is nice. But yeah, it's it's definitely the first from Miyazaki. And it does feel like, you know, an intro for Miyazaki. It has a lot of elements that you would see later in his movies when it comes to like character interactions and everything like that. And the fact that you got to work with a character that was already popular is kind of already a cool thing, especially for directors when they get to go, I really like this. And then they get to make a movie for something that they really like. And when it comes to the style that they're going for with Lupin, I think he pulled it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I um, Yeah, for what it is, it, it pulls off what it's trying to do. Uh, sure. Uh, I... I <laughs> Well, I, I can see uh, well, I can see how this is an influence on uh, animators today. Like I know uh, John Lasseter, who was pretty big at Pixar for Toy Story one and two, uh, among others. You know, he said this was an influence on him, mm-hmm. as well as other Disney films. Like I can see how this is an influence. I can see how this is kind of like the uh, the launch point for like how my, uh, Miyazaki came from this and became the great anim- animation uh, director we know today. Um, all right, uh, you ready to head, uh, ready to go on to uh, grading here? Yeah, we can uh, jump into that. <laughs> so uh, I'll let you go look, first. <laughs> I'm, listen, listen, I understand what this movie is. Uh, <laughs> this is just my subjective view. Uh, this is a 2.5. Okay. I mean, that's fair. You, you don't have that connection yeah, I, with Lupin the Third. I, I, it's, I'm not going to yeah. be a dick. Right, it's a yeah. 2.5. I mean, it, it was, it's nice animation for its time. 
it just it just didn't grab me like that. Uh, this one I put it at a good like three point five out of five. I, I think it basically right. hits the notes that it needs to hit and everything like that. It's a loop in the third movie. It's not trying to be something exponentially you know big it's not supposed to be thought-provoking it's not supposed to make you go oh man that's a movie i'm going to be thinking about for the next week you know and this scene and that scene it's a fun movie to sit down and watch and be able to enjoy and for what it was it hit that note for me but at Mm -hmm. the same time i also have a connection to loop in the third and that series that i can look back at this and be like Oh, yeah, I remember these characters. I, I remember these hijinks. Oh, he's doing the thing. That's I, I remember that from the show. That, that's nice. And it's not one of those anime that I think of often. You know, it's not in the same vein to me as like Dragon Ball Z, where, you know, you could pop me into any Dragon Ball Z trivia and I'd be able to answer every question front to back like it's nothing. Lupin the Third, you know, I might be able to get a couple of those, even though I still watched that around the same time that I watched Dragon Ball Z. It didn't have that much of an impact on me overall. Mm, but still yeah. watching this movie, it brought back those nostalgic kind of feelings I had toward it and made me go, yeah, it's a fun show still. This is a fun movie to a fun show. And yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And that brings us to the second movie we're going to be talking about today with Yurisei Yatsura, uh, Only You, which is a continuation of the first season of the anime uh, Yurisei Yatsura. Uh, I'm going to butcher this name a couple times yeah, throughout I, this. I'm not even going to try to say it right. <laughs> I'm going to just say UY. But, uh, or we can just say Only You. But this was the first feature film for this series, directed by Mamoru Oshii, who would go on to direct Ghost in the Shell, as we, you know, talked about previously. But in this movie, we kind of continue on since the first season of the show, where we have the two characters with Loom and Ataru, who are together. But we find out that Ataru has accidentally proposed to a second girl in... 11 years prior to the movie taking place from another planet who has come back in order to take him back for that proposal. Uh, and through that, he we have the kind of romantic comedy aspects that this show had come back for this movie as we have Aturu, who is a very, uh, I want to say like brash person and not very caring at all. <laughs> especially toward Loom. And as he tries to go, well, L is the name of the girl that he accidentally proposed to in the past. And he completely like full force goes, Oh yeah, this is somebody that I could be with. You know, this is a princess. I I want this. I I can use this power and everything. It's exactly what his character is, but obviously things go a little Ari and so on. But yeah, when it comes to this movie, that is the bare bones plot of it. And I'm going to go ahead, take wild guess in the dark here that prior to this movie, you had no idea anything about, uh, you know, this series of Yursuri Yatsura. (laughs) You know what, man? Part of the thing I love about this show we got here is that uh, I I just jump in head first. You know what I mean? (laughs) And whatever may come, may come. And uh, most of the time that hasn't screwed me, you know, uh, but sometimes you go, all right. Hey, I, hey, you you do one YOLO, you only live once, 
never again. But uh, <laughs> no, nah, I, I knew nothing about this show or or, or the series with, which which from which it came. So a little bit of background on this series. So this series was very popular over in Japan and Europe. It really didn't hit a popular note over here in the States. So this is one of those ones where you'll actually see artwork of the characters like in promotions for different things like collaboration manga and collaboration shows and stuff more Mm -hmm. than you'll see the characters over here. I want to say, actually, there was, for the longest time, this didn't even have a dub over in the States. And with the new series, I don't even know if they've done a dub for it yet or not. But it it comes down to, this is one of those ones that most people, like in Europe, they'd be like, oh my god, I, I know that show. And over in the States, you could basically post, you know, the pictures up and people would be like, yeah, it's it's from an anime, I think. It's like a cartoon, something like that. That's mm. all you're going to get. So with this one, it doesn't surprise me that you hadn't heard of it at all. Because stateside, it is a very like niche one that hits even like most huge anime communities. Still really don't know much about this one, aside from the fact it exists. And, and it's funny that we, we wouldn't have came across this one if we didn't like uh, if the director behind it wasn't somebody that, that made such an influential <laughs> film later in his career which we talked about, you know, Ghost in the Shell. So, uh, yeah, I mean, at least I know about it now. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, 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 I hear what you're saying. Yeah, so this is one that, like, even I had no connection to prior to seeing it. Like, I know the bare bones plot of the anime, which is, mm-hmm. you know, Ataru accidentally proposes to Loom under circumstances that he doesn't understand that she takes as a proposal. As which she falls madly in love with him because this is the first guy to ever propose to her. And she decides to stay on Earth to marry him as soon as he finishes school and everything. So that's the plot of the show. (laughs) Where Mm -hmm. she's madly in love with him. He wants nothing to do with her. It was all like a circumstantial accident that he proposed to her in the first place. But she will not let it go. You know, man... Uh, prior to us doing this show, I I, uh, I was I was talking with uh, a, a couple of film club buddies of mine. I was like, man, my co-host made me watch these two movies, dog. Like, th- there's a reason, you know, they're first features by these great directors. But dude, mm-hmm. I just saw this one movie. I was, and they were like, they're like, they're like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa Urasai, which Urasai film did you watch? And I was <laughs> like, only you. And I was like, only you. They were like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and they they kind of said, "Oh, you watched that one." Um, this this film is buns, man. This is straight buns. I I I, I get it. I again, I, I may not be as graceful to this one as I am the Castle of a uh, Cagliostro, but this this film, it's a no for me, dog. I, I listen. I like the whole thing about the stepping on the shadow thing. I feel like visually that 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 looks good in the beginning with the prologue. Mm-hmm. But I was like, the characters annoyed me. Uh, like you said, the one guy that's like, yeah, he's a princess. Uh, I can use that for power. Mm-hmm. He was annoying. I like some of the family scenes were funny, um, especially the big. Uh, I don't know if that was his sister. I don't know if that was her sister. The the big character, the the bully, uh, the bull. I'll be honest, I don't know what the relationships between the characters really are outside of Atari and Loom. See. 
And that tells me everything I need to know. Yeah. But go, go ahead. Go ahead. But yeah, I, I will say like watching the scene with the parents of the two interacting when they're trying to be like, oh yeah, they're going to get married and stuff. And Atura's parents are kind of like, oh yeah, they're really nice. And you know, you'll have a great life with uh, Loom and I look forward to your wedding. And the mom's kind of just like, yeah, and I made good friends with her mother. So, you know, I think this will work out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Some of that is a little humorous, but uh, yeah, this film was a little, it was a little insufferable to me, man. Uh, everyone has a limit. I, yeah. I just, I couldn't with this one. Like, I heard that the sequel, Beautiful Dreamer, is way better, and I, I don't even know if I can make it, man. Uh, I'll just take people's word for it, but <laughs> I just, I couldn't with this film, man. I really couldn't. It just, you, you tell me what you like about it. I so I think some of the comedy of it does work and everything like that. The animation for its time does look decent. And I know that's one of the things that people like brought up for this movie when I was looking up like what other people kind of thought of it was people back then when it first came out in, you know, 83, we're kind of going, oh, my God, the animation on this is fantastic. It's spectacular compared to the show. And if you mm-hmm. look at like a comparison of what the movie looks like versus the show, yes, the characters are a whole lot more detailed. There's a lot more going on with the movie than there was the show. And but by today's standards, the animation's fine. I honestly think Lupin 3 looks better than this movie, even though that came out four years prior to this movie. And but that's my thoughts on it. But when it comes to this one, it's it's pretty bare bones. You know, there's not really much to go off of when it comes to it. I was kind of hoping for something more, especially with something that's based off an existing property, you know, to be like, okay, this is going to be like the big theatrical spectacle for this, you know, because when you think of like anime that get their first time movie, a lot of them are pretty big moments. And while they do have kind of that mix of ones that talk about like the past of the series to newcomers can watch versus ones that are purely for fans, this one falls into the category of purely for fans because it does not explain anything whatsoever. Even like the little bit of information I knew between, you know, Ataru and Loom doesn't get explained in this movie whatsoever it just kind of comes off where everybody's going oh man did you hear that you know ataru's kind of proposed to this other girl who's this other girl we don't know and then find that it was like something made 11 years prior and still even then you have loom going crazy and she even seems even crazier in this movie because it's never explained and you can tell that ataru has no interest in her whatsoever which it has like a comedy aspect that has some good kind of funny moments with it between those two where he's kind of going, yeah, I don't care. Can you leave me alone now? I want to be with this other girl, but you've never seen her before. Yeah. I'll take my chances. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I just, at some point I just say, yeah, I don't, I, I just didn't really care that much. I mean, listen, I give everything a fair chance and uh, this, this just wasn't, this just wasn't that one for me. It's like, uh, and I know we're looking at debuts here because we're looking at first features, uh, but, you know, not everyone has a great debut like a Satoshi Khan. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just the way it is. Uh, but you can see where people have gone from. See, I'm not familiar with a lot of uh, Mama Rules uh, stuff outside of Ghost in the Shell, but from what I've heard, you know, he just got bigger and better past this, and I and I believe it. 
because uh, I, I I don't think it's hard to go bigger and better past this. <laughs> I don't I don't think that's a hard uh goal to to, to go for. Uh, yeah, I just I, I didn't like this movie, man. Yeah, so basically, would you say that this movie wasn't for you mostly because you didn't understand parts of it, or just even with that in mind, you were just like, it's too bare bones, there was just nothing special about it, nothing grabbed you at all? Even even, even with that, it was just too bare bones and nothing grabbed me. Okay, I mean, that's fair. I, I, I get that 100%, because uh, I agree 100% with that. It, this movie just kind of floats by it's very forgettable on scenes aside from like some moments where it's like oh yeah it it turns out that uh, the princess of this planet is freezing every guy that likes her in order to keep their love frozen forever so it'll never thaw out and it's like okay i remember that moment i don't remember Mm -hmm. if that led to anything or if anything came of that but i remember that that's a scene in the movie (laughs) Mm mm-hmm yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's like I can usually hop into a film that I know nothing about and, um, you know, be OK with it. If, 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 as long as the film grabs me, I'm OK with going in and not not knowing anything about what's going on. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, this one, it just uh, it just couldn't grab me. Yeah. So if we're going to jump right into scores on this one, unless you have some weird, spectacular, amazing thing you have to say about it first. Uh, Hey, you know, uh, you can only go up from here, which is what what Mr. Oshi did. And, you know, uh, big ups to him. Um, You know, you, you go from this to ghost in the shell. I mean, I mean, what a run, huh? Mm -hmm. I I mean, come on. But uh, yeah, this is a one. I just, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to give it half a star. Uh, <laughs> this is a one. Uh, yeah, I got to agree. This is a one out of five. It just does not capture any interest whatsoever. And I know a part of that is I have no interest in these characters. I have no connection with them prior to watching this movie. So going into this one, I kind of figured that I'd be a little lost on it. I kind of hope that it would explain some things, but it didn't. And I think that's what it comes down to when we're talking about these two movies and their directorial debuts. They Mm -hmm. definitely went up from this point. But even with Miyazaki's writing and his kind of style and everything like that, that shines in Lupin 3. You can kind of still watch that movie and go, okay, this has those bits of Miyazaki in it that you see him take and use and, you know, it in movies kind of like uh, Princess Mononoke, Totoro, and everything else. And when it comes to Yursere Yatsura, you don't see that kind of flow into what Oshi would proceed to make with Ghost in the Shell and Angel's Egg and everything like that, where he went completely in a different direction from this. And I want to say, like, even one of his notes about this movie was that he didn't see it as a success in his eyes for what he was trying to accomplish with it. And I I haven't heard anything about the second one. I know he did go on to direct the second movie, uh, Beautiful Dreamer. But I'm going to take your uh, critic buddy's words on it and say it was better. Uh, I'm probably not going to go sit down and watch it, though, (laughs) at the same time. Listen, I'm not going to say you got one strike with me, but when the when the first film is like horrifically bad, 
I don't know. It takes a lot for me to come back. I, my wife has to sit me down and has to come across this randomly on TV for me to watch that second film. Yeah. Be like, all right, I'm stuck to the couch. I'll just watch it. Which, considering okay. this isn't a popular series in the U.S., I think you're going to be safe. Oh, yeah. I, I don't see it happening, personally. <laughs> so, but yeah, uh, with that, I think it's basically said uh, Castle of Cagliostro is... It, heavens better than uh only you <laughs> or f- yeah 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 i i say it's 1.5 better but uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you always happens better uh but you know yeah i think it's a better movie it, it is uh it kept me more engaged uh yeah absolutely but yeah all right here I, I i gotta say though when it comes to watching these kind of first features this is i want to say the third or fourth time we've done uh first feature versus episode mm-hmm. for directorial debuts and yeah it, sometimes you have hits on them and sometimes you don't and you kind of look at the movies and go how did you go from this to something that i beloved and would watch a hundred times over you know on repeat until that vhs died out and then beg my parents to buy a new copy of it because i still wanted to watch it a couple more times and yeah, going I'd... from that jump to this it's like it it's almost a miracle <laughs> yeah i mean yeah you, you definitely see that right and um you know you you see that a lot with the uh, directors and uh yeah, uh, miracles do happen in cinema. And I think uh, two of these guys, you know, they, they deserve their spot. Absolutely. But yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that we did this episode. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, heading into after show. Um, hey, spoiler alert, y'all. We both happened to finally catch uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And uh, dude, let's let's just get into it, man. What'd you think? Uh, I absolutely loved it. I Same. I'm not even going to hold back. This movie was everything I wanted from a Guardians of the Galaxy sequel and some because Mm -hmm. it I will say right off the bat, I think Guardians of the Galaxy was one of the better movies of the second phase of the MCU. I think it's Mm -hmm. actually my favorite movie in the second phase of the MCU Uh, or no, it's just under Winter Soldier when it comes to that. Everyone loves Winter Soldier, man. Right. I never quite understood it. I mean, I like the movie, but I never quite understood why everyone loves it so much. But we'll get in, that's a different conversation. Yeah. But when it comes to the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, and then Guardians of the Galaxy 2 came out, I, again, I absolutely love that movie. I had a blast with it. it. It was cheesy at moments, but at the same time, I was just absolutely entertained, smiling ear to ear the entire time. It had emotional mm-hmm. notes. It had fun moments and everything like that. It had great effects to it. It had some, you know, cheesiness with it, but the cheesiness of, you know, watching Star-Lord, you know, use his god powers to make Pac-Man is like, okay, that's funny. Watching Yandu <laughs> scream, I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. Okay, that's funny. I like it. It's <laughs> cheesy, but I'm enjoying it. And then with this yeah. movie, it basically, if you were to go, Guardians 1 was just a very fun, colorful movie. Guardians 2 was a colorful, kind of sad, happy movie. This movie is a dark, dreary, depressing movie. It and I dark. absolutely loved it the entire time through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I got I got I got to completely agree with you, man. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy one 
when I saw it in theaters, I loved it. Uh, that whole phase kind of just is kind of a blur to me. I mean, at this point, to me, it, it's before Endgame and after Endgame <laughs> at, at this point. Uh, but I would say that it, it was one of the stronger ones I saw uh, within that era. Mm-hmm. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, I wasn't really too much of a fan of because it felt like the same movie, just, I, I think, longer. Um, but I did, like, there, there's some good moments in Guardians 2. Like, I like Kurt Russell, Mary Poppins, y'all. There's there's moments I like in Guardians 2, right? It's not a bad sequel. It's just kind of, in my mind, the same kind of movie. Yeah, it didn't uh, expand on it. It kind of just kept going the same, you know, distance. Right. You like this? Let's give you more of that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what Guardians 2 is. But um, Guardians 3, dude, I love the change of uh, emotional pace here. Oh, yeah. Because um, when I went to go see this film, it was at a screening with my wife. And I was kind of like, I, I heard that they were kind of going to go into Rocket's backstory. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I wonder how James Gunn is great at doing this. Like, like James Gunn, this guy who came from making uh, B-horror movies, great B-horror movies, by yeah. the way, great dark comedies. Uh, he knows how to make the the macabre and the grotesque uh, emotionally heartwarming and heartbreaking mm-hmm. at the same time. Like he has a knack for that, and to translate that to like a, a mainstream field such as superhero films, I mean it's it's a it's a gift, you know. Um, so coming off Suicide Squad to this, um, I said in my in my review on Eight Bit Waffles, dude, I said this guy. I don't know if you know the biblical story of Job. But when this guy kind of went on exile in Hollywood and everyone kind of wrote him off, except for the Guardians actors themselves, out of nowhere, he just gets hit with uh, DC saying, hey, you know, you want a spot? Come over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's give let's give him the you want the Suicide Squad. Here you go. And completely nails it and then gets re- reinstated at uh, at Marvel and then becomes the co-head of chief at DC. I mean, that's just like that's like the ending of Joe with like less suffering, but like uh, with a ton more blessings, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like going from that and then having this be like your final go through at like a uh, Marvel. I mean, well done. I mean, looking at this film, like I said, it's a very, I wouldn't even say this movie is for kids, teenagers maybe, but like, I don't even know. Like, like I heard like um, one of my nieces, uh, you know, her parents took her to see this and, you know, I, I was okay with it, but I was like, I movie might be a little too dark for her though. <laughs> Cause like Rocket's backstory is so heartbreaking. Like it, like it's heart, it's heart, like it's heartwarming as you as you see these characters that he's locked up with become friends and everything like that. But you just know something dark is around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that these friends haven't appeared since you know in any of the other movies, and they're only in flashback sequences. You know something's yeah. gonna happen, right? And and you know uh, it's a James Gunn film. Mm-hmm. So, you know, something dark is going to happen and do it when it happens. Uh, it's so heartbreaking, man. And it's like um, there's So there's two plots here. There's the plot of a uh, rocket's backstory as he's lying on the gurney, you know, kind of fighting for his life. He, he we, we learn more about how he became rocket and it's uh, at the hands of the high evolutionary. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's a the second plot where um, the guardians are trying to save rocket's life and uh, go after the high evolutionary. Uh, for a certain, uh, we're going to call it a MacGuffin that they need to uh, save Rocket's life. And, uh, you know, then you got Adam Warlock and everybody like that coming after them. Uh, so that that side plot is a perfect bare bones Guardians plot. 
This one right here elevates it past the first two Guardians with this emotional weight of uh, Rocket's backstory. Oh yeah, uh, dude, I gotta admit, this it's been a it's been a while since I finally just clapped so loudly in a the theater than when Rocket cut my man's face because I was oh, like, "You bastard!" Oh man, yeah, it's it's a powerful scene. Like it's when it comes down to like his entire backstory and everything it's it's depressing it's sad like the fact that his first word are hurts and you know and that's all he can say for a little bit is just hurts mm-hmm. and you know he starts getting a relationship with these other people that were kind of in the same situation where they were being tested on by the high evolutionary in order to create the perfect beings and when he finds out that you know he was always kind of told oh i'm creating a world for you know the perfect beings and everything and when i have finally created the perfect beings they'll all live there safely and Mm -hmm. obviously they're kind of all in this going through the experiments and being like this is torture but he's creating a world for us he's creating the perfect world for us and then heaven is coming yeah heaven is coming right and it's just so sad because you 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 know you know how this ends. Oh yeah. I mean, but it's like it's like oh man, I don't know if I'm emotionally prepared for this. My wife was crying. I was like, dude, this is. I teared like, up a gun- little. It was like, oh, yeah. this hurts. <laughs> gun got me in the feels, man. I was like, oh my goodness, this is emotionally devastating. Oh yeah. By the point where where it came back to Star Lord, and then I'm like, I don't even want to. I don't even want to go back to them. <laughs> like my 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 mind is not okay right now. <laughs> I can't <laughs> handle it. Do fun adventures with Star Lord for a bit. I can't go back to the rocket stuff. Right. No, I was the opposite. When they went back to Star Lord, I said I can't. I can't emotionally detach from what I just saw. Oh, like you know, I'm, I'm not ready. You know. Um, yeah, but yeah, it, it it was a it was a powerful uh, flashback uh, side flashback uh, plot B part uh, part of the film. Now I want to say this, um, dude. I know we've always looked at villains um, like, all right, who's the next Thanos? You know, who who who's as powerful as Thanos? Um, I say this, man. When it comes to crafting a great villain, uh, a lot of things go into it, man. You know, performance, uh, charisma. Charisma can play a factor, and you know, just powers. Now Thanos, Thanos was evil, but Thanos was fun. You know, mm-hmm. it was fun to watch Thanos, uh, Killmonger. Killmonger was bad, but Killmonger was fun, and you understood where he was coming from. Right. You know, you you you, you understood where he was coming from. This guy right here, oh man, this is one of the best villains in Marvel history, Marvel cinematic history, dude. When and it comes actor, to a pure villain, absolutely yes. agree. You're not supposed to be like, oh, I understand. Wait, no, he is just a purebred villain. He, he's a piece of shit. Yes. He's a piece of shit. Uh, and like the, the actor, Chuck Woody, uh, Awuji, well done. Well done. His performance, he makes you hate this character. You don't mm-hmm. love to hate him. You hate to hate him. Like, like you like this guy is one of the best written villains in Marvel history. Marvel cinematic history. Yeah. I don't know if he's one of the best written villains, but when it comes to being like a villain, that's just like. Most of Marvel's best villains are the ones you go, I see where they're coming from. With him, mm-hmm. he's a fantastic villain that you're just like, no, I want to see him die. I want to see yes. the bullet between his eyes right now. So much so that when it finally came face to face. Now, I got a little mad at this because I'm like, Marvel made James Gunn do that. Like, like when, when it came face to face 
And I love how everybody comes in and kind of gets their gets their licks in on him mm-hmm. to the point where he finally falls down and Rocket has the gun on him. And Star Lord's like, end him. And Rocket's like, nah, we're guardians. I was like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> James Gunn was probably in the room, like, y'all really not gonna let me kill him? Like, like he's like, nah, it's it's Marvel. Okay. Yeah. Right. It I I was I was kind of sad that Rocket didn't get that like final shot. But at the same right. time, it's like, okay, I can kind of see it from a growth of his character kind of thing that throughout his entire life, he's been running from this guy and fearful mm-hmm. from him. And now it comes to a point where he has, you know, a gun to his head and he goes, I don't fear you. I pity you. You're, you're not worth my time or my thoughts, you know, and just leaving it at that. I think that's I think that's a superhero cop out, though. it it is a superhero cop-out but it's it it kind of works with his kind of story progression throughout the movies uh, i guess um (laughs) speaking about plot a though uh dude i loved it man i i loved uh you know usually i'm not the i like chris pratt but i don't like it when they try to make star lord like so dumb Mm -hmm. and this one you see you see some maturity like you see him like, you know, he he dealt with the loss of his fiance. Uh, you know, the the one that's in the universe now doesn't has no con- emotional connection to him. So he he dealt with the loss of his of his I don't know if they were married, but his fiance, like, you know, and um, you know, he's 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 dealing with uh his sister, I mean her sister, uh Drax, you know, and uh the whole team, but you know, he's he's not the leader he once was. In the beginning, we see him like getting a little drunk. Mm-hmm. Um but you know he has to pull it together for his buddy Rocket and bring him back to life. Uh, I, I like I like the the plot A. I, I like the plot A. The Guardians getting back together to save Rocket's life. Uh, what I was gonna say was, um, oh, uh, now now I was a little wary on um, my man's character, uh, Will Porter's Will Porter's character. Oh, Adam, Adam Warlock. Warlock. Yeah. Yeah, because I was like, okay, so what's this guy's deal? He he just has a conscience. But as the film went on and you kind of learn a little bit more about him, I was like, this isn't a bad dumb villain. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of like him. Like he grew he grew on me throughout the movie. He does. He he's very well written, especially since it's not like the warlock from the comics. And mm-hmm. they explain why it's not the same warlock that we expect to get from the comics, where he is this like almighty being that protects the universe. Instead, he didn't get to grow to that potential before his cocoon was opened because, you know, the high evolutionary wanted him now in order to get Rocket back for him. So he is very much like a kid in an adult body. You know, he doesn't understand like his some of his jokes were great in the movie, you know, you know, show this person what kind of power we have. And he just absolutely melts the guy. He's like, how are we supposed to get information from him now? (laughs) (laughs) He told me to show him my power. You showed him. Yeah. yeah. I did what you asked. But Hey, I gotta say. Uh go ahead. Yeah, but one thing that uh I, I absolutely love that they did with this movie beyond everything else is the world wasn't at stake. The universe mm-hmm. wasn't in trouble. It, this was about saving Rocket. Their journey was going to get information to save Rocket. There was no if we don't do this, the world as we know it is going to end. Or this right. person's going to take over the universe. It, it, the high evolutionary was in his own pocket of the universe, just creating his own stuff. He wasn't really meddling with anything else. He was only mm-hmm. meddling with what he was touching, 
or what he claimed was his property, which was planets he was creating himself. So right. he wasn't a threat to the universe. The threat was Rocket, you know, was in trouble and they needed to save Rocket. And I like how mm-hmm. it was brought down to this kind of movie pace where you're not going, well, why didn't they call in, you know, the Nova Corps? Why didn't they go and call Captain, you know, Marvel in order to help them with this? Well, it's because it, they didn't need that. They were trying to save their friend. They weren't trying to save the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, I got to say, man, as far as side characters go, uh, I I hadn't seen the holiday special before this. I, I'll watch it mm-hmm. one day. But um, Cosmo, uh, <laughs> her, her whole relationship with um, Sean Gunn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sean Gunn's character. I, I like that, man. Like, I like how, you know, at one point she she kind of like uh, upstages him on trying to move the move the thing. The, the arrow. Um, right. He goes, Yo, you're a bad dog. She's like, what? I, no, I'm not. Take yeah. it back. You know, and uh, I like how when they're playing cards with Howard the Duck, <laughs> at some point she goes, listen, I survived through the Cold War. I've been lost in the space, but I have never, ever been called a bad dog. Yeah. And yeah, everyone it, goes, ah. Yeah, I love how it's like being set up like, yeah, back on Earth, you know, they put me in a rocket. They strapped <laughs> me down, forced me into the pod, launched me into space, never to come back. But at the very least, they never called me a bad dog. <laughs> Uh, and he's like, let it go, Cosmo. And he, he kind of double downs on it. And she goes, it still hurts. <laughs> I know um, you don't mean it, but it still hurts. Take it back. Yeah, I absolutely loved Cosmo in this. And I, I love Cosmo in the comics. I loved Cosmo showing up in the game, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, which if you haven't played that game, uh, go play it. I highly recommend it. It is a fantastic Guardians of the Galaxy story that kind of melds the comics with the movies a little bit where you get a little bit of the personality from the movies, but you get a lot more of like the interactions and the lore from the comics in that game. And Cosmo is one of the, you know, my favorite parts of the game. And in this movie, her scenes were absolutely fantastic as well because yeah, her banter and everything with Craglin is great. But uh, the, the one line I will say, I absolutely knew it was coming and it still was like, yeah, I like that. That, that was good where she comes and saves Craglin and basically he goes, you know, who is that? That's a good dog. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, yeah, that was, that, that, that was nice. That was a nice, uh, payoff. Dude, the music in this one, Mm -hmm. very fire. I like the music in this one, man. Especially that uh, Beastie Boys action sequence. Very well done. Yes. Uh, yeah, that kind of slow-mo action sequence and everything. It, I, Some people were mentioning that was a one-shot. I guess I didn't notice it was a one-shot because I was just having so much fun with that moment yeah, that yeah. I wasn't paying attention enough to be like... Because normally with action one-shots, I'm all on board. I love them 100%. This was one that I honestly didn't realize was a one-shot because I was just having so much fun and laughing at it that mm-hmm. it, when it you know finally cuts and goes back to like normal pace, it's like, oh, that was good. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I... I um. 
I don't know if it was really a one shot. Uh, you can do anything these days with digital filming. But oh, yeah. if it was awesome. Well, but, I mean, uh, like with know, the way that it pans and everything, it doesn't like oh, cut yeah, scene you. to scene and everything. That's what people didn't were saying. That. Okay. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I thought that was very well done. Um, I love Nate, I, um, Nathan Fillion's uh, uh, small role. In oh, this yeah. Film. <laughs> It's like the, like this random piece of dialogue. It shouldn't be funny, but it's just so funny when he's talking to his boy. He says, no, no, adrenaline will break your spine. You, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? The guy's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, well, I just made that up. Yeah. No, I, I thought you were talking about the other thing. Yeah. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> also, when he's talking to other people, oh, is she, you know, don't worry. He's, he's a little slow. We don't really pay attention to what he says. And he just goes, yeah, I got one of those, too. <laughs> Yeah, I just I just like his uh his demeanor in this film. Like, oh yeah, I don't know. he he's just funny in this one. Um, yeah, man. Overall, a uh, very great film, dude. Uh, I like the way it ends. I like the resolution. I like the dance party in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so great. I, I like the mid credit, the mid credit, uh, the mid end credit sequence. Yes, uh, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, the one where we get to see like the new Guardians of the Galaxy team up that's happening. And yeah, yeah, I will say one thing. Uh, Obviously, we've been talking about spoilers, but yeah, the fact that nobody died, everybody got their happy ending. And a lot of people thought Rocket would die. I thought Rocket would die. See, it it was one of those things where there were rumors that uh, Gamora was going to die, that Drax was going to die, that Star-Lord was going to die, that Rocket was going to die. Basically, I think the only character that it was like guaranteed wasn't going to die was going to be Nebula. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But at the same time, with this movie, you prior to the movie coming out, you already had, you know, Dave Bautista and Zoe Saldana coming out and going, yeah, I think this is it for me. Uh, You know, the person that plays uh, Mantis, she also kind of pomp. She said that uh, she was kind of done with the Guardians movies. Mm -hmm. Basically, the only person that said that they were kind of still on board to do something with Marvel was Chris Pratt. And his comment was, (laughs) if they have a good idea, I'd listen. (laughs) Chris said, look, I'm going to get this money. Right. I'm going to get this money, man. I I ain't mad at him. Because like when I see the final credit scene, like it's it's not really it's kind of like a classic Star Lord scene where mm-hmm. he's like just talking with his granddad, like man, I'm mowing the lawn, and you know my brother in law, you know he like uh, I guess he kissed like his his older brother in law. He said, you know this guy's a he's, this guy's a grown man. His, grand, his grandfather's like, yeah, tell me about it. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, well I, I want to know, and then he just fades out. Like no, seriously, tell me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's definitely that classic kind of humanizing him at the same time as giving us that right. funny end credit scene that really doesn't lead to anything that Marvel right. loves doing. Where it's like, okay, I usually like those scenes more than the other ones because the other credit scenes are typically like, oh, hey, can't wait until we show you what's coming next. And it's like, yeah, but I'm not going to see anything from that for the next five years. So I really don't care. And then the next right, one right. is just a funny thing. And it's like, okay, I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so a quick rating here. Um, I, I give this uh, I'm, I'm, I'm between 4 and 4.5 for me. This is a 4.5, no question. It I was, you know, if I wasn't grinning ear to ear, it's because I was trying to hold back tears. It's 
Mm. back and forth in this movie it was hitting the right emotions at the right time for everything i think the jokes landed i had a great time with it it's the closeout to the guardians trilogy which honestly i think i can honestly say is the best trilogy from the mcu to come out okay yeah that's that's, that's worth pondering um yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I I have to sit back and really think about that if this is the best Marvel trilogy. But but so far, I'd uh, I, I I'd probably give it the uh, I'd probably give it the stamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spider Man one through three, it's kind of hard to combat against that though. It's good, uh, but at the same time, I think the Guardians trilogy was the most consistent with what it was trying to do. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe. But uh, I wanted to say, uh, hey, the the writer strike that's going on right now, man. Have you been hearing about this? Yeah, and the fact that it, obviously it has a lot of support from a lot of the people that are in the industry and everything, because their demands mm-hmm. aren't really that big. Most of their demands right now are guaranteeing that the same protections that television has move over to streaming because everything's mm-hmm. moving to streaming. And I don't think that's a big ask to be like, hey, you gave us these protections for people that are working on, you know, TV shows like, you know, CW shows, for instance. They have Mm -hmm. protections where they're guaranteed payout for their day's work and everything like that. And for, you know, everything that's going on with the writing, for going on with the production, there's protections that they have. Streaming doesn't have those same protections right now. And with most things moving to streaming, like HBO and Discovery, Warner, they're not making TV shows anymore. They're now making shows for streaming platforms. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Warner Brothers Discovery. uh, I I remember one person saying like, uh, dude, I I didn't pay for my HBO Max to watch 90 Day Fiance. I, I paid to watch uh, Sopranos and Deadwood. I, I didn't pay for this. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because, um, you know, HBO Max might be ending soon, I, I believe. It's going to change over from HBO Max to just being called Max. And mm-hmm. it's it. they really haven't said much aside from the name change and there were going to be some structural changes coming which means absolutely we we could do anything we want you know structural changes could literally be anything (laughs) yeah i uh because i remember they had a uh they had a they had had a hp they had a max hd plan and then there was a max ultra hd plan and i was like what what like like no no there was a max eight, uh, plus plan. There was a max ultra plus plan. I, I'm paraphrasing here. And I was like, well, what's what's the ultra plus plan? I mean, is that like uh, like no ads all the time and the other ones like no ads except for like at night? Like, what does that mean? Yeah. They're like, oh, I think it means ultra HD. I was like, oh, OK. But they could at least just say that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And make it more clear. Yeah, it's kind of uh, like uh, the Netflix plans. There's 15 tiers. Well, what's the first tier? The first tier is where you can only watch the Transformers movies. What's the second tier? You can watch the Transformers movies without ads. Yeah, it's. <laughs> yeah, I I don't get it. I. Yeah, I, I don't know. But with this writer strike that's going on right now, uh, Blade got delayed again because uh, of the strike. Basically, 
most big notable movies that have already been announced, you know, years in advance, those are all being pushed back or delayed in some regard. And the ones that haven't been announced for delays, I got to believe are coming soon or at the very mm-hmm. least, once the writer's strike is over, they'll be like, OK, we're going to end up pushing this back a couple months and this back a couple months and everything like that. But yeah, right now, when it comes to a lot of TV shows and everything like that, we're not going to see the effects of the writer's strike, depending on how long it actually lasts for about a year, probably, because if I recall correctly, it was about eight months after the last writer's strike that everybody started being like, well, all the writers were striking before, but TV sucks now. It's like, yeah, because that's all the stuff that was written during the writer's strike. (laughs) Calm down. A lot of great shows had shortened seasons because of the writer's strike. I believe The Office season one is only six episodes because of the strike. Uh, Breaking Bad season one was only eight episodes because of Mm -hmm. the strike uh, happening around the time of uh, production. Um, I believe during production or during airing. But um, yeah, man, I'm in full support of the writers. As you know, I'm a writer. uh, You're a writer. Uh, I'm I'm in full support of them getting what they're asking for. one thing I would say here is that look, tin, tin foil hat time, tin, tin foil hat time. Everyone keeps talking about AI, and everyone keeps talking about oh, th- th- there's this clip I see of like a a Wes Anderson made Star Wars tra- uh, trailer, mm-hmm. or like a Wes Anderson directed Star Wars that was created by AI, and somebody was like, oh my goodness, say goodbye to to to, to cinema because AI got it now. Man, I watched that and I was like, I mean that's that's cute to look at, but it. Yeah. It looks creepy. Yeah, that's one thing that uh, a lot of people that go, oh, AI is going to destroy the industry. AI is going to destroy this. It's like, no, it's not. First off, AI as it stands is a copy paste tool. It's not capable of coming up with new ideas. It's only capable of regurgitating ideas that have already been made. It's only Mm -hmm. able to look up information and redistribute that same information. We're not going to see AI write the next Star Wars, because if we see an AI write the next Star Wars, we're going to just get a combination of the last Star Wars movies in a new movie. We're not going to get any new ideas. We're not going to get any new characters. We're not going to get any new kind of anything happening. And it's the same for, like, the visual aspect. That's why there's a whole lawsuit going on right now with the different, like, art AI programs, because they didn't create new art. What they did is they took old art and they just kind of smear it into different shapes to create different kind of ideas. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not creating a new picture of Will Smith eating spaghetti it's taking a picture of will smith it's taking a picture of somebody with their mouth open it's taking a picture of spaghetti and it's just kind of blending those photos together to get you this very creepy thing of will smith eating spaghetti Mm. it's not new it's just taking existing things and mashing them together to kind of give you something that's close to what you want and (laughs) I, i think a lot of people don't understand that Especially when you like read things online where like people go, oh, AI is going to totally disrupt the industry. It's like it's going to disrupt it, but not in the way you're thinking. It's going to legally disrupt it. It's not going to (laughs) disrupt it in any form that you're going to see. It's just going to make it so new laws are put into place to prevent other people's work from being able to be put into AI. Yeah, yeah. I want to tell you, man, uh, uh, 
shout out to the mothers. I know Mother's Day is coming up, but um, uh, my mom and I were speaking about you know the HBO show Westworld, right? Oh yeah. Now you're aware that Westworld. I don't know if we talked about this was removed from uh, HBO and HBO Max, right? Yep. I, I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but I know we've talked about it at some point. Yeah, which was straight up like like strange to me because that's actually mm-hmm. a show that HBO owns and they just removed it. Um, so I was just talking to her and I was like, yeah, you know, I just thought that was such a boneheaded move. And, um, you know, I, I ended up getting a package in the mail from her. I didn't know what it was. It was sent by surprise. She ended up sending me seasons one through four of Westworld on DVD. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty nice. She didn't have to do that, but I thought that mm-hmm. was nice of her. Uh, for a split second, I paused and said, dang, but it ain't Blu-ray. <laughs> but i but i was like but i was like i i i appreciate the the gift <laughs> yeah I, I like that uh sudden pause of just like oh man the dvd box you really couldn't spring the extra 10 bucks for the blu-rays <laughs> right right no but i i i was appreciative of it but oh, yeah. uh yeah man it just goes to show that you know physical media at least in my mind is still important well there's another thing with uh i don't know if you i know we talked about it but this was probably like a year ago now when it back happened when hbo kind of purged a bunch of its shows from the service uh, especially a lot mm-hmm. of animated shows and everything including canceling a lot of stuff uh right. obviously you know the one i'm most vocal about is venture bros that you know it's still a travesty and i hope to god that they eventually revert that decision but the other show that was kind of a big thing when it got you know struck from the record given how the last season ended with a giant cliffhanger was final space and yeah i remember you telling me that that was a big one because the third season never got a home release they actually canceled the blu-ray release for the third season and it wasn't available on any digital platforms to purchase it like itunes or amazon or anything like that and its license in the uk on netflix was set to expire soon i don't know if it's expired yet or if it's going to expire in the coming months it's got to be coming up if it hasn't expired yet but once that expires there's going to be no legal way to watch the third season of this show which is a huge thing but the creator of the show has managed to purchase the rights from hbo to continue the series in a graphic novel style so to make nice. a single graphic novel in order to close out the show and everything like that. And that's a huge thing. So I, I got to say, if anybody is looking forward to, you know, Final Space or anything like that and was really upset by that cancellation, uh, go look up the Final Space. I think it's called The Last Chapters right now, but it's a tentative title. It, the book is a little bit pricey because he has to self-publish it. It, they basically gave him a laundry list of rules going, this has to be self-published. You can't go through another publisher for it. It has to all be done within this time frame. You can only do a single print run, so you're not allowed to continually print it and sell it. So the print cost sucks. is like $125 is what he has the pre-order at because that's what it's going to cost him. I think he actually was talking like it, it's almost going to be a loss for him unless they get like a high enough volume to sell because at the cost to print it and he's going to be fine finishing the entire story, which he had three more seasons planned. So it's going to be a book covering like three seasons of this show. 
And yeah, it's I, I think that's a big thing that uh, he managed to grab the rights to do this, even though, yes, is it not the format everybody's hoping for? Sure. Is it going to be pricey? Yeah. But at the very least, it gives that creator a chance to finish that story. And I think that's huge. Yeah, it definitely sounds huge. And it definitely sounds commendable, too. Um, commendable. I don't know if that's the right word. But it, it, so, it sounds great. Like, it sounds like he finally gets to... Like, it, it, I'd rather this than, like, a blog post saying, look, they canceled me, so I'm going to put out on bullet points how the series ends. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, like how we got the uh, ideas for what was going to happen in Half-Life 3, where basically one of the writers just wrote down in a text document and changed all the names from like Gordon Freeman to Gordo Fry, you know, Fryman and then posted it online as kind of like cliff notes of everything that was going to happen. I, I prefer this than getting that. Uh, I, I, I never played half-life, but, uh, was it, did it at least sound like it was going to be a satisfying ending? Uh, based on those notes, it did. <laughs> Okay. It's like, all right, well, I guess I see this now. Yeah. But, all right. But yeah, it's, I, I think that's a, you know, it's not the perfect way for it to go, but at the same time, I'm glad that it came to this point that he could do this. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's looking like, uh, there's only like 112 left in stock. Uh, I gotta be honest. If I was a fan of the show, uh, my my wife will have my balls in a vice, but I I probably would drop some money on this. I mean, uh, I can honestly say I pre-ordered as soon as I saw it popped up. I pre-ordered it instantly. It was a no-brainer decision to me. Okay, okay, and it makes sense too because he's an animator, so I'm sure it's gonna be sure it's gonna be good. Oh yeah. Uh, well, you let me know how it is uh, when you read it. Oh yeah. All right. All right. Well, uh, this was a long one here, but we, we had a lot of meat on the bone that we had to had to cover here. But uh, hey, y'all, it's been another great episode of DFV. Uh, remember to watch movies, uh, you know, uh, take in movies, love watching movies and uh, like, share and subscribe and, uh, you know, take care.